This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Everybody to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Cyril with Insider Perks. We are missing Kara today. She's in another board meeting. I feel like she does so much for the industry that she doesn't even really need to host the show anymore, but we would miss her if she didn't. Just me going alone today, but we thankfully have three extra guests here that are happy to join us on our weird kind of week five episode that normally doesn't happen. I think two or three times a year, but when that happens and we have an extra week in a month, super excited to welcome Kay from Outerly. We got Chandler from Skill Above RV Testers and Mike and Melissa Crow from Vinton Getaways Glamping. And we're going to just kind of let them talk about their companies a little bit. But first, do you guys want to introduce yourself? Who wants to go first here? Don't be shy. I can go. Hello, everyone. My name is Kay Rodriguez. I am the founder and CEO of a company called Outerly. Outerly is rooted in this idea that we can beat loneliness with nature. Every single city in the entire country, in the entire world has nature spaces, but oftentimes they are underutilized. Whereas we have lots and lots of people over, overflowing at places like Acadia or the Grand Canyon or Zion National Park. And so our goal is to help connect people in cities to local places to go outside as well as to each other so that they can go outside in real life with other people and develop communities around the outdoors. Sounds like a noble goal. Thank you, Kay. Chandler, you want to go? Yes. So I am the founder and owner of Skill Above RV Testers. We have seen that there is a need for tech tools. So tools for owners and for technicians that work on RVs. And so we have designed up a handful of tools and we have a whole list of consumer products that we plan on building to make the RV experience better. Awesome. Thank you, Chandler. Mike and Melissa, last but not least, of course. Hi, everyone. My name is Mike Crow and my wife, Melissa. We are the founders of Mitten Getaways Glamping Company. We are aspiring glamping resort operators in Eastern Michigan currently. Trying to procure land for our resort. All right. So let's, let's start there, right? So let's look at how first, why Michigan? Do you live here or live there? I should say. Yep. We're lifelong Michiganders. So you wanted to be really close to the glamping property. So in case anybody had problems, they could knock on your door late at night. Is that the idea? Or? <laughs> That's our hope. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, we want to live on the resort that we operate. It's brave, definitely braver than I could ever do. But tell us a little bit about your adventure. Where did you get into the glamping space and decide that this is the path for you guys? Unex definitely unexpectedly. We enjoy nature and getting outside and doing trips around the state with our girls and equally by ourselves too sometimes. But uh, yeah, we had uh, been looking for a home and we came across a large parcel of land, 176 acres of unimproved farmland that was beautiful and secluded and brilliant. And we said, we're not crazy enough to build a home here on 176 acres by ourselves, but maybe if we uh, can land hack or monetize it in some way that could work out so we could enjoy the nature and 
we didn't know much about glamping at the time or that there was a whole association behind it, but we uh, eventually learned that there was. And our initial idea was to have a event barn on the property and some overnight stays. And we later realized that the peace and seclusion that we wanted would be interfered with by an event barn. That's how, where we got married. And we know that they can be a little noisy on weekends. So we nixed that idea and went with just overnight stays so that people could get out and experience the peace and seclusion that we saw there. And unfortunately that property sold before we had a chance at it, but it inspired the idea. And now we are on property 15-ish looking at trying to secure it and meeting with the sellers in fact today to see if we can make a deal. That's awesome. So how does that, so how do you, how does that all go into it, right? Obviously I'm in this industry, I'm involved in camping and glamping and all that kind of stuff, but I never went out and attempted to purchase a piece of land because we've already discussed I'm kind of a coward when it comes to people knocking on my door in the middle of the night. But what goes through the process of what do you look for when you're looking for obviously peace and seclusion as you talked about, right? But what are the check boxes that a piece of land must have for you guys? A few of them. One of them was we wanted a water feature whether it be a pond or a river. And then also we didn't want a lot of houses around it, obviously. And then there were... We, uh, we definitely wanted those. We wanted enough space for there to be things to do on the property as well. Enough room for trails, at least get in a couple miles for hiking, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, that type of thing. We should mention we're going for a year-round glamping resort. So people can experience this thing called winter glamping as well. And yeah, those are, I think that about covers yeah. it. I'm all for it. Like winter, like I just went snowshoeing and I'm spoiled, right? Of like 45 minutes from Bam National Park in Calgary, but it was, I went snowshoeing. So I was like, I'm, I'm all about the winter activities and getting out. Like you just said, yeah, warm. So it's just a retraining of people's thinking that you only do camping in the summer. If you do have those activities or you're on a location or you're near a ski resort or things like that. And there's definitely ways that you can market to those people. You go hunting or ice fishing or whatever. Right. So that's awesome. So what, what is the plan? Let's say you go to the seller today and you close, right? <laughs> How fast are you moving? As quickly as possible. There's definitely some government entities involved in the process. Our first piece of land. Right? Like you don't have to say that. It's being recorded. You don't have to say they're a pain. I did. <laughs> right. But well, yeah. be able to just stake out our own country. Have our own government and it would be much easier that way. The clock starts ticking if we can make a deal and we have to do some things with the municipality, the township, get a special use permit and get our site plan approved, get our permits, get our financing as well. So we, it, what it looks like ideally is three to four months getting that done and being able to break ground at the end of that period. Is there a risk? And this has always been, I'm certainly willing to take risks as, much, as a business owner too, just of a different kind. But is there a risk in like, I bought this property and now I'm pretty sure I'm going to get the permits, but now they change their mind and the council doesn't want to do it. And they're arguing with us. And then what happens at that? There can be a risk. And that's one of the challenges that we've had with some other landowners in the past is they would have to take their property off the market for a while to wait for us. That's how we've structured okay. our, our purchase agreements. And most of them are hesitant to do that. And they don't want to miss a sale from somebody else that doesn't depend on the township's approval. Is there any way to get, and I'm just asking from a place of ignorance, right? Is there not for you specifically, but do you know, is there a way that you can get pre-approval? I'm going to see just a little bit more of a guarantee so you could move faster on our property. From all the township ordinances that we've looked at in our area, it's pretty straightforward that you have to apply for a special okay. use permit three weeks in advance or more. 
public notice goes out to area residents in a certain radius so that they can come and voice their opinions on it. And then you present before the planning commission and hopefully they like you and your idea and your thoughtfulness of the plans. Then if you get approved there, you are presenting in front of the full township board afterwards to try and get your site plan approved. Yes, tons of risks, but. That all sounds terrible to me, but I'm glad there are people like you because I like to go glamping, to be clear. So I'm very glad there are people like you who are willing to do it. It's not me. I move too fast. I would get so irritated. I would just go make a decision right now. I am just right now. I'm going to go to another city and I'm just going to continue. But that's me. I'm broken. I admit. All right. Last question before I want to get to Chandler and Kay. So look, and obviously you guys are welcome to stay and input and we'll probably come back to you with some crossover questions later. But what does Mitten Getaways look like in your ideal perfect world when it's done? Yeah, our mission is unexpected getaways and tranquility. That's what we want to provide. We have hinged our business plan on a few differences from a lot of other glamping operators and that we want to be one year round. Now that's not a big deal to people out West, but here in Michigan, there's not a lot of campgrounds or glamping resorts that are year round. So we want, we want to do that. We want to have a diverse offering of structures for people to stay in. Not all domes or not all wagons, not all tents, but a variety. So people can come back and have a different experience each time. And we want people to have lots of things to do on the property so that they don't treat it like a hotel where it's just the overnight accommodation. It's a place to go and enjoy and, and stay night overnight and have lots of things to do. Awesome. Hopefully we'll be able to see it sooner rather than later. Have you guys back on and show us what you did. Yeah. I'd love to. I don't know. Who wants to go next? Let's go with Chandler. Chandler's RV testers. So Chandler, you was your brief intro, right? What kind of brought you to this situation where you said you do parts for, to repair RVs, right? Yes, sir. So, so how do you get there? How I, do you get to there where you're like, there's a value to me having a company versus going to an Ace Hardware or a Lowe's or something like that. Obviously very specialized part, but talk us through it is what I'm asking. Yeah. So I am an instructor at the National RV Training Academy. And so I deal with owners pretty much on a daily basis. I myself and our family travel around in our RV. And what we see is if something breaks on our RV or something of that nature, I have the electrical background to override the device and make things happen. Get our jacks up, get our slides in, whatever it is. That so you need. can hack someone's RV? Well, is that what you're saying? Not necessarily hack, but you can electrically override. It sounds um, like hacking, Chandler. I'm just saying. But what we found is we might be at a campsite and our neighbors are just pulling in and they go to unhook from their truck and their jacks won't go down or something is messed up in that sort. And so we have right off the bat built a box that allows you to plug your drill battery into and allows the owner or a technician to be able to override the controllers that may be placed in your RV so that you can drive the jacks down or push your slides down. Or okay. So it was a stupid like question that. of me to ask Lowe's. I didn't realize what you did. I didn't do enough research in advance, but that sounds really cool and useful. Yes. And so we're actually in the process. I got the renderings back from our engineer yesterday for our consumer-based products that is going to be just that. And we're hoping that it will take place of the gold looking handle that comes in most of your campers to override your slides or your manual stuff. You will actually be able to plug in to certain ports in the RV and be able to run all of the stuff from your phone. So how often does this happen where 
people get stuck. Quite frequently, the campground that I'm at now, I've been out every single day dealing with certain issues with some of the newer slides, some of their slide out mechanisms that we all know about that are prone to failure. And so people's slides get stuck quite frequently. Interesting. I think that would frustrate me as an RV owner, but yeah, I guess it's a business opportunity hey, for you, right? Yeah, like I mean, if there's anybody that's grateful that someone's slide is stuck, it's Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Another one. But yeah. So how did you get into this? Right. How did you decide that? And I know we touched on that briefly, but how did you decide that this is the path I want to take? This is the, is it just a one product thing or is it? No. So we have multiple products. So let's, so how did I get into it? Okay. So it's not like I decided to do it. I actually, I had owners asking me if there's ways that they can do this. And I'm like, absolutely. Here's so a much better build. story. You should say, I'm just going to make this up for you. Okay. On the fly. And you can probably use AI to make it better. But you should say I was in my RV and my slide got stuck hanging over the side of the Grand Canyon and my wife almost died, but I grabbed her arm and then hooked up a battery by mistake and we were able to reel her into safety. And thus I decided to make sure that no one else ever suffered the same fate ever again. That's a beautiful story. I love it. You could sell way more like that. People would just, yeah. But go ahead, continue. So I actually had a group of about five owners. One day I was overriding somebody's <clears throat> equipment because I'm also, <clears throat> sorry, I'm also a mobile technician, <laughs> RV technician. And I was overriding somebody's stuff electrically. And I had about a group of five owners come to me and said, Hey, can you build me something just like this? And I'm like, sure. And so I did. And they immediately sold. And then they started talking to people and then people kept coming to me asking me if I could build the same device for them. And it was all people in motorhomes with very large full wall slides. And they had all suffered the same failure with their brand of slide mechanism. And unfortunately, when they need to get propane, they can't just take their propane tank out like we do and go and get it filled. They have to drive their RV up and get it filled their slide mechanism fails, they need a way to drive it in so that they can drive down to the propane filling station and get filled up and then come back. So I had owners buying this box from me just so that they could close their slides and open their slides to, to go get propane. So that's the way to start a business, right? Going. You call into a problem and you have a solution and then everybody just tells everybody. That is correct. Now what we have done is now that we did that, I've had people come to me, technicians and say, Hey, we install awning. Let's just say we install awning fabrics. That's their business is they just go and install new fabric awning fabrics for owners, but it requires a second person to help them. And so one of their complaints is it's hard to find that second person that wants to show up every time you ask for help. And even if you're willing to pay, they may not want to show up. So they said, we need a way that we can do this by ourselves. Well, we designed up a tool that we use quite frequently so that you can install 22, 23, 26 foot long awnings by yourself. And so that was tool number two. Is there more? Yeah. How many uh, are there before you go through each one of them? <laughs> <laughs> There's two more, but 26 on the list. Okay. Give us the two more, Obey. Because they're interesting. So, I find them fascinating so far, right? They're really good. 
like yes. problem solving use cases. And you would almost think that a manufacturer would want to partner with you. Yes. So we're actually very new. We're right at a year old and we've done zero advertising. You have we've just, there's well, three people that watch the show. <laughs> Mike, Melissa, so, and so we're, we're very new. It's all word of mouth. So we're just trying to get as many of our products out there to help technicians and owners. Because with some of these tools, like the one that I just spoke about that helped with awnings, is now it is going to help bring the cost of a replacement, a technician to come out and do an awning fabric replacement. It's going to become cheaper because you don't have to have a second person. Okay. And not to mention it's faster. The next tool is a diagnostics tool for technicians and could possibly be for owners if they are handy in that nature. But some of our slide mechanisms and leveling systems that are electronic, they have sensors in them to know where the position of the motor is. Um, and if that sensor goes bad, the motor may still turn, but the leveling system or the slide system doesn't know where it's at, so it just faults out. And some of these motors for these slide mechanisms are expensive. One for a slim rack is a little over $700 and there's two per slide. So we've had technicians that have come out, misdiagnosed and replaced a $700 motor, come to find out that's not what it is. So we've designed up a tester that gives you a graph. You, it takes 15 seconds and it runs a diagnostics and it gives you a red light or a green light. And then you have a printout graph so that you can present it to the owner and be able to show them why the motor is bad and why they're fixing to have to spend the seven, $700. Because that's a lot of money. Yeah. I, it doesn't matter who you are. $700 for a motor is a lot of money. $700 for anything is a lot of money. Yes. And then we have developed a test tool for RV air conditioners and heat pumps. And it's a diagnostics tool so that you can go out here, routine maintenance. If you go and get your air conditioner clean from a technician, they can basically do a diagnostics test on it and they can check the amperage draw and, and find out if, if your air conditioner is going out, you can actually see a trend and be able to tell if something is going wrong with the air conditioner before it actually fails. Okay. So let me ask you this for the people who are watching this, which arguably are a lot of campground owners and operators. Is this a, to me, this is a business use case. To me, this is a, let's package my five and maybe you said 26 tools eventually, but put them in together in little packages and resell them to campground owners so that campground owners can provide these optional services at their campgrounds for free as a value add, which differentiates them yes. or for a small cost. Yes. So we've actually already had multiple campgrounds reach out to us, especially like in the Pigeon Forge area. They may have a storefront and they want to have our products on their shelves available for owners. So when they get themselves into a situation that they need to go and they need a technician right now, but they, there's not one available, they can pick one of these up and actually use it to get stuff in. So actually our consumer-based box that I was talking about earlier is called the rescue tech. And that's what it is. It is basically a technician in a box. And of course it's all controlled by your phone, which is going to have very detailed instructions, step-by-step -step instructions on how to use it. Okay. So what is, now you say, you've been saying consumer a couple of times. Is there a product for businesses? 
that's different or? So when I say consumers, I'm talking about RV owners rather than RV right. technicians. So our RV tech tools, so our technician tools are usually going to be the AC tester, the, what we call the, the diagnostic. it's the diagnostics tools. Our owner stuff is going to be like the rescue tech. That is a consumer product in our eyes, not necessarily a technician's tool, but we have a ton of stuff on the horizon for the consumers, some little neat trinkets, stuff that's controlled by your phone, like lighted signs that hang out in front of the RV. Let's just say you have a fifth wheel lighted signs for the pin box that you can control from your phone. So you can put your name or your site number, and it will also plug into the seven way RV plug. So you can turn on your park lights if you want, because what we've noticed is some of these campgrounds, we have single women and they may not feel as safe with all the lights off around the RV. And so having a way to be able to control the lights from inside the RV and be able to turn the parking lights on the outside of the RV might be handy. But there's actual danger out there. Can they put, can they electrify the outside of the fence? Is that people if they try to come in or we can lots definitely of other add-ons here? I feel like Chandler, I could help you with. Yes, we could definitely look into that. I feel like there's a liability though. Chandler's never going to talk to me again after this. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. So we, like I say, we have a long list of consumer-based products, but our first goal was to get out some of the tech to right out the gate so that we can help the consumer. Cause our whole goal is to help the RV owners. And so if we can help the technicians be able to diagnose the problems faster, in turn, it helps the pocketbook of the RV owner. Yeah, because they're charging by the hour or for whatever they're yes. And when we first started in our RV, I didn't, I was unaware. And we had people work on our RV and they took longer than probably it should have to diagnose some of the issues that we had. And it costed us. But we've decided that we want to make some tools to be able to help the technicians so that doesn't happen as frequently to owners. Do you think one day you build a robot who can do all this in one shot? You sound I've, smart enough to do it. I'm just saying. I used to work in high-speed manufacturing. So yes, just I have. Nice. All right. I want to talk to you again, Chandler. I have all kinds of crazy ideas. But anyway, let me move on to Kay and then we can jump in and same thing with, with Mike and Melissa. Kay from Outerly. I talked to you, I don't know what, last week, two weeks ago or something. Something like that. But give us a brief info, but so what is Outerly and why does it exist? Yeah. So I, rewinding a little bit from the social platform and the tech, because all of this started actually with a problem that I faced when I moved to Chicago a couple of years ago in 2019. Okay. I had just come back from a year of traveling solo around the world, living out of a backpack. I went to 15 different countries by myself and I was, and I hiked a lot, obviously, and spent a lot of time in the most beautiful landscapes. And I got a job in Chicago, moved to Chicago in the summer of 2019. And I asked all of my friends who were Chicago natives, where can I go hiking here? And they would give me one of three answers, Lincoln Park, the lakefront and Millennium Park all of which are very obvious and not very wilderness-y. They're beautiful, but they're just very in the middle of the city. And so I said, seriously, none of you know where I can go hiking in Chicago and nobody could tell me. 
So I put on my boots, got in the car, I go on Google Maps and I look for green patches on Google Maps and I just drive there and see if there was a trail. And in the process, I posted a few blogs on a WordPress blog. It wasn't even, it doesn't really even exist anymore. Just about places to go outside in Chicago. And within three months, we had about 15,000 readers reading those handful of articles every single day. And I said, okay, clearly they're not here for me. Chicago must really want to know where to go outside. And there isn't a good resource to do that. Fast forward a couple of cities that I'd lived in previously. I posted some content about those. I hired writers from all over the country. And we were able to scale just in just over a year to about 150,000 unique visitors per month on the site. It was awesome. It's now called Urban Outdoors. You can find it at urbanoutdoors.com or if you look up hikes in basically any city across the U.S., you'll probably find us. But during that process, I learned from our readers. I'd get emails from readers all the time saying, I really want to do these things, but I don't know anybody who will go with me. Can you tell me how to meet other people to go outside with? And the only option that was consistent across all the cities was Meetup. However, Meetup can be really hit or met for especially for outdoors and for beginners who don't know if they're the same speed or the same experience level as some of the other people in the Meetup group. Even I've hiked thousands of miles across the world. I've been rejected from Meetup groups because they thought that I was not an experienced enough hiker. And so I said, clearly these aren't inclusive platforms. Like there isn't really a good, easy way to meet other people in your city who like to go hiking or do outdoor activities. And so I'll just build one. So I have spent the last 11 months learning to code, learning to build so that I could build what is now called Outerly. Outerly spun out of Urban Outdoors and is a an app where you D, people in DC, which is the pilot that we're running right now, can log in. They can find activities to do in the DC area. We're currently working on building the largest database of DC area outdoor activities. And they can also meet other people who want to do those same activities as them. Currently, we are about, hopefully within the next couple of minutes, actually, we are about to cross 150 users on the platform after launching late last week. And we are in the, in the process of negotiating our first B2B contract here in the city. So it's been a busy couple of weeks, but Outerly is live here and we've got a very ambitious goal to reach 100,000 DC area users on the platform by Earth Day. We call it 100K before Earth Day. Okay, so yep. what qualifies as an outdoor activity? Is it helping someone repair their awning? Like, like or is that one of the most popular outdoor activities? Because like, you're saying, I want to find somebody, and I know this is early and I know you're still getting users, but what do you have a feeling will be like the most popular types of things people are looking to pair up for? Yeah, people want, most of the people that we've talked to are hikers, they're walkers, they like going to nature places and moving their feet. So that is overwhelmingly what we've seen. However, we have also gotten a lot of interest from climbers, from people who paddle, so kayaking, suck, canoeing, and also from, what am I missing? Climbing, suck, ski, snowboard, and camping. Those are the official verticals, but our definition of the outdoors is a little bit different than, let's say, if you see a North Face ad and it's somebody hiking up a mountain Outside with their like pickaxes and stuff. We define an outdoor activity is as an intentional activity done outdoors, whether that's walking around the sidewalk, whether that's going to a park and hanging your hammock and sitting in it, whether that's reading a book at a picnic table. Or whether it's summiting a 14 or a Colorado or going to another country and doing a backcountry trek, it all falls under this umbrella of 
outdoors for us. And Frank, this is new in the outdoor industry. For a long time, it was the outdoor industry is very much the outdoors is the most hardcore, the most epic, the most difficult activities count as outdoors and everything else is not outdoors. It's just nothing. And we've, we learned through hundreds of customer interviews, that's actually very, it excludes a lot of people who would want to go outside, but they might not feel ready to go summit a mountain or plan a trip entirely around outdoors. So we're really trying to redefine what outdoors even means and make it feel more accessible to people who live in cities who may be under the impression that they have to fly all the way out to Utah or Arizona in order to go outside. Makes sense. Okay. So where does Outerly expand to from here? If you had, if you, let's say you get a, what was your goal? I saw on LinkedIn, 150,000. Is that just in DC or total? 100K before Earth Day in DC. Yeah. So then what, how quickly do you expand if this takes off? Yeah. So once we have our DC use case kind of locked and loaded and we figure out, all right, this is how we can launch in a city. These are the things that worked. These are the things that didn't. Our goal is in the fall to launch in seasonally, fall seasonal cities. So our next tranche will be Phoenix, the DFW area, and Houston, all of which we have several thousand waitlist subscribers. We have several thousand readers on urban outdoors per month in those cities. And so we've already tested demand for this kind of thing. And we just need to go over there and plop it down so that we can get the communities on board. When are you going to launch in Michigan? Because we need to pair up people to go glamping. At, at <laughs> yeah. Detroit is on our roadmap. Actually, it is one of the cities where we do have a presence with Urban Outdoors and we do have waitlist subscribers. So hopefully we'll do our mid. So Chicago and St. Louis are two of our biggest cities in terms of waitlist subscribers. And we'll probably do one big Midwest launch, Chicago, St. Louis, Minneapolis, and Detroit. So likely next year, but. I don't want in you the to summer, feel like sure. but they're literally closing on land today, maybe. So it'll be perfect. They'll have plenty of practice before the outerly community gets to go check it out. Right. Okay. So yeah, it's really interesting, the solutions that all of you guys are creating. I mean, we know glamping is big and, and it's taking off. And I think it's got a long, successful future here, right? In the United States, in some capacities, we've talked on the show before, I guess, from the UK and from Europe where they've adopted that stuff already. But it always amazes me the different types of entrepreneurs that get into the scene who want to do different things and have different ideas and different imaginations. And really it's amazing that all of that works. And you could have a terrible idea that doesn't work. But for the most part, it's still an infanti an infantile or whatever. I can't think of the word. Small, Infancy. small market that has a lot of room to grow, not a lot of competition around you, stuff like that. So the sky's kind of the limit here to see where you can go and experiment. And really by the time it gets crowded, I think you guys will have a head start by having everything refined and just like Kay was saying, I figure out what doesn't work so that I could do what does work. Is there a future where there's multiple locations from it? Possibly. No, it's not an absolute need or vision for us right now. Well, yeah, but I think like, when the more I was going with the theme, with Mitten being all of you guys really contributing. We have a comment here in the chat I missed. I don't know when it came in from Vivian who I believe is saying about you, Chandler, I love how we're working to provide solutions for those living in RVs. It's also my first time hearing about the National RV Training Academy. I think I've heard about it before. I may have even crossed, who are the founders of that? Do you, I feel like I've talked to them before. Oh, you're muted, Chandler. I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? All right. So actually my uncle is one of the founders, Terry Cooper. Yes, Terry, and I've talked to them on Zoom, like probably 2018 or 2019, I think, because they used yeah. to be involved with RB Daily Report, right? So Yes, and so I've been there for approximately a year and a half. I was asked to join their team and be one of the instructors. And so 
Yes, about a year and a half. And that's really where I found the need. People were coming to me, owners were coming to me, asking me, what can you do to help me? Technicians are coming to me, asking me, what can you do to help us? So that's how it happened. And we've talked on the show before about how there's a shortage of technicians. We've had a clip from the RVTA on the TI on here. They're trying to train and recruit my technicians and things like that. Is there a point, and maybe I'm treading into dangerous territory and you can say, I don't want to answer this question now, but is there a point where the manufacturer realizes that maybe they just need to make better slide outs? And I know what that question is, so it's okay if you don't want to answer it. And I definitely don't want to name anybody by name, but is there a point where there's a responsibility to say, because if it's happening at the volume that you're saying it's at, right? That you're at a campground and it's happening four or five, eight times to different people. Is there a point yes. where you say, listen, this is obviously broke? So there is manufacturers already very recently that have noticed the incline of problems and have started to switch to different manufacturers for different slide-out mechanisms. I know one major manufacturer in particular has taken notice of the slide mechanism out of Arizona called Vroom, which is a very nice package. But yes, I'm sure at some point the manufacturer of most of these slide out mechanisms will take note and start trying to make better products that will last longer. Now, I know that these are moving items down the highway and they get beat down the roughest roads. I don't know if you've been through Louisiana lately, but it's not the best on a camper. And we travel back and forth from Florida to Texas quite frequently. So we pass through Louisiana every time. And it definitely takes its toll on all the mechanisms on the RV. And to be fair, there's a lot of moving parts. No one's trying to throw anybody under the bus and say the manufacturers are doing this on purpose or anything like that. But I'm just making sure that at some point, like there should be data that gets back to them that says, oh, here's what's happening. And then obviously most of them would choose to fix it. If the number yes. And so we, we have seen that. Now there are some slide mechanisms out there that are better than others. However, they're not the prettiest looking ones. So it's usually over beauty. Style. Yep. And the problem is if we put something ugly on the side of an RV, it deters people from wanting to buy it. So if we put something pretty on the side of the RV, it may not work as well, but people are more apt to buy it. I've seen one slide mechanism in particular that is very well known and works very well, but unfortunately, as ugly as it is, people would end up taking it back to the dealership and say that they thought it was broken because it didn't look right or this, that, and the other. And so the manufacturers of these RVs are saying, I don't really want to use that slide mechanism because people don't want to buy our RV because it's attached to it. Why do you Even feel like there, why do you feel like there has to be a trade-off between these two things? There doesn't have to be. Anymore. That's the reason why we're building our own slide mechanisms. Right oh, okay. Now. All right. So there, so this is on the 26th list or this is a whole different list? Yes. This is on part of the 26th yeah. list. But if you build your own slide mechanism and it works, won't you put yourself out of business? Hey, you know what? If it makes the, if it makes the life of the RV better, great. So the correct answer is yes, but you still want to have it just in case, even though it's 99.9%, you just still need a battery. See, <laughs> I can teach you marketing, Chandler. We can do good things. But yeah, like, and the same thing with K, right? I'm talking about, I was thinking about when you were saying it, I moved to Chicago and I was 
I don't know if you say people lonely, but you were looking for people that took places to go hike, things like that, I think. But you touched on loneliness, I think, in your intro or before the show or something like that. But, and then I was thinking right after that is the pandemic, right? For, which was admittedly shorter in the United States than it was the rest of the world. But it's very interesting, I think, how people have changed their perception of loneliness since that's been a thing. And I think that there's more perception and awareness of apps like you and a willingness to take part in that and not even be a little bit lovely. Yeah, I would actually go as far as to say that the loneliness epidemic is like a public health crisis. And the reason why I say that is not to send up alarm beacons and whatnot, but because there have been studies that have shown that prolonged loneliness can lead to early deaths. It is as unhealthy for U.S. smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You can have respiratory problems, you can have digestive problems, cardiovascular problems, all from the fact that you are consistently lonely over years and years. And so for us, and especially here in cities, it's like we have all of these spaces where people can gather, but we're not using them. Instead, we're sending people across the country to go visit national parks that are frankly way overcrowded and overpopulated to the point where they have to close trails in order to accommodate people where when we have plenty of beautiful spaces in our cities an example of a great example of this is met a woman here in dc she has lived across from our big dc park called rat Creek park for entire life 40 something years and she has never gone on a trail in that park but she walks around the park every single day and i asked her why don't you go outside why don't you go out on those trails? And because I don't know anybody who will go with me and I don't know my way around in there. What if I go out? What if I go in there and I get lost and I don't come back out? How will I know where to go? And so I took her, of course. And it just really sparked this idea of can nature and can the outdoors be a solution to the loneliness problem? And I guess one other thing. I want to push back on one thing, right? Because I agree with you. I think in some cases on the loneliness is toxic and all that. But I also think it's the type of loneliness. Is it something you're willing to do? Like me, I started a business. I started a business for 12 years. Being an entrepreneur is lonely, but I'm also not unhappy doing that either. So I think there's a correlation there to some of the studies you're talking about. I think we're talking about alone versus lonely. So alone is I am with other people. And sometimes you're intentionally alone. I can be introverted sometimes. And so I'm intentionally alone. You can walk in a room with 20 people and be lonely still. Exactly. Yeah. So loneliness is more of an emotion or a condition or a state versus alone is a situation or a circumstance. And so I'm talking about punch you in the gut loneliness, not necessarily aloneness. Gotcha. And I figured you were. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, no, totally. And I think a lot of people, that distinction is not clear. There's a very fine line. One thing that I will say is that from our audiences, we've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people. And we learned that about 75% of people would go outside more frequently if they could easily find somebody else to go with based on those interviews. So it is a big problem and it is restricting access to the outdoors. the same way, right? So when I was in between girlfriends or whatever, or didn't have moved to a new city, I just moved to Calgary, right? In 2021 during the pandemic. I'm the same way. Like I, I enjoy, I will go outside alone. It doesn't make me sad to do that. But I do definitely enjoy going places with other people and experiencing those things with other people. And so there are trips and things that I haven't done. Like I could go to Europe on a solo trip like, like you did to go hiking and I would have fun. But I know I'd have more fun with somebody else. 
So then my mind is, let's wait until I have a girlfriend or somebody who likes the hike or a good friend who can go with me or whatever, because I will have a better time with two people. And so the catch 22 for me. No, that is a very commonly held idea. Yeah, maybe I could go outside, but especially for people who are new to the outdoors, right? There is a group of people that exist that are outdoor veterans, we'll call them. Like they've been going outside, they've been skiing, hiking, et cetera, since they were less, since they could walk. And then on the other side of that, there are people who, like me, I never camped until I was 23. I didn't summit a mountain until I was 22. I had never really considered myself an outdoorsy person. I didn't even participate in my university outdoor recreation club. Like I was never, ever outdoorsy until I realized that the outdoors is such a healing and grounding space. And it's not that scary once you get out there. And it's not, there aren't that many dangers if you know what you're doing. But for me... Maybe it depends on where you were. I talked to a guy oh, in the middle of a tent at Forest in Belize who makes glamping tents. And he was like talking about the giant spiders and the snakes. I hate spiders, so I would not like that. But there's just, there's reasonable risk or like you can, you can... Pair up with somebody who's a spider expert on the hourly app. Can defend so, yeah, exactly. So that's, it's like putting myself in the shoes of somebody like me who has never been outside, whose parents didn't take them outside, who doesn't have a family that likes to go outside or a partner who likes to go outside and saying, how does that person... How does that person become a once a week outdoorsy person? That's the problem that we are trying to solve. And our hypothesis is that through connection is how we solve it. For sure. I don't disagree with you. So what do we have? We got, I don't know, we got 14 minutes left. What do we have to talk about, guys? <laughs> you guys are all the guest hosts. I nominate you right now. <laughs> what, seriously, what, like what's crunch your desk in the glamping industry or the RV industry or the outside industry? Because that's everything. What is Frasher Guest that's interesting that you want to talk about? I actually wanted to ask Kay, your emphasis is on major cities. What type of radius of activities do you go out from those major cities? Yeah, so we are starting with DC proper, and then we're doing five mile radius, and then 15, then 25, and then 100. So okay. we're like building our database from the inside out, just to like kind of 80, 20 our efforts. But yeah, eventually what I would like is for this to be a sort of overarching, like ubiquitous platform for any city, but social all trails, we'll say, where there is a database of outdoor activities all over the place, but you can easily find somebody else who wants to do those things, either within your network or within your network work. And so in your app, is it just the caring or you mentioned all trails? Is it trail data and information to you or? Yeah, so we have an activities database. Right now we are not doing trail routes, but we have all of that information. We did a big GIS project mapping out every single trail in Washington, D.C. proper. So we have that information. And we, unfortunately, like the platform that we built this early app on is not, we can't use it yet, but we're sitting on all of this data that we can pull into our custom mobile app once it goes live and people can actually choose their own adventure. So unlike all trails where it's like a defined trail, our hope is that you can say, all right, I want to take this trail to this trail, navigate me. And it's basically choose your own adventure. And that helps people like this woman that I met who want to go into Rock Creek Park, but don't know their way around. They can, okay, there's a trail here and here that will lead me back to my house in one hour. And that's really where we see that data playing a piece in this whole thing. 
Can you do cool things like Waze where you add little features that differentiate from like Google Maps or all trails? I would like to know where the bears are. Like they're in real time browsing the trail. One, not because I'm scared of them, because I've been trying for two years to see a bear up here and they just don't want to find me. And just drive up and down the ice fields parkway until you reach well, a traffic jam. Yeah, so I seen a bear on the side of the road or in Youngstown or in whatever. Yeah. And I don't really want to, but not bears, but like other, is there other things that are on your plate, right? That add value to that trip that maybe aren't focused on because they're not focused on the outdoors like you are or the outside. Yeah. I would just say like our product roadmap and all the features that we've thought about. So the choose your own adventure, we have some safety features that we're launching specifically for women who told us. I don't, I want to hike by myself, but I don't want to be out in the woods with no, with nobody knowing where I am. Okay, great. Let's create a feature around that. Like all of the features that we have put into this brand or vision are for people who want to use this, who don't see another way or another avenue to find the information they need. And we listen really hard and we prioritize based on how many times we hear something, how easy it is to execute. All of that type of stuff. But to your point about like having, that is also something that we are incorporating. So stay tuned in the next few months. <laughs> awesome. Anything else, guys? Mike, ask a question of Kay Chandler. You're on deck here. You got to come up with a brilliant idea for us. What do you want to say? I guess from hearing from you and Kay, it sounds like both of y'all are not RVers. You're more, you're tent campers. Is that correct? I built my company living out of my sprinter van. So I'm not an RVer, but I am a big camper. So I know the world of being under my van and like feet sticking out, tinkering with stuff. Like I've done that so many times. I'm not an RVer because I can't afford one yet. No one will advertise, but I'm working it. It's in the plans, Chandler. And yes. when, when it comes and I buy that RV, I'm going to know already that my slide out will break. And I'm going to be mad when I buy it. Well, you. No, you know, when y'all both have talked about tents, I, it's just, I'm not that hardcore. Well, you know, I've got to have, I've got to have a roof and I've got to have wheels, water to go to Mitten Getaways. Well, <laughs> what I was going to say, Chandler, is another potential opportunity for you. And I don't know if you've already thought of this. So just tell me to shut up if you have. But I know that there's a like RV marketplace called Outdoorsy for people who don't own RVs, but they rent, they can rent RVs from people locally who have them. So it's like yes. peer-to-peer Those RV rentals. And these, really these are people who don't know what the heck they're doing with an RV. They don't know how to drive it. They don't know what they're doing. And so I wonder if there's an opportunity for you to yes. basically connect into that, like the peer-to-peer rental or just like RV rental space for you people who are like, I don't know what the heck. You need to sell $2,000 to Outdoorsy. And then so, the, have a box where you can check like $5 for a rescue package. Like you can shoot the car seat in the back of a rental car or GPS, and then they'll quickly pay off for that stuff. Yes. So that's actually been a thought of ours. I have probably a billionaire last, to be clear. We all want a cut of it. We have actually started with a tablet sized box so that it's easy to read and it would be for the person that has never dealt with an RV. And so basically it will be a step-by-step -step guide on what to look for. And it will basically have a built-in trouble tree. So you tell it what kind of slide out we're dealing with and it asks you what your symptoms are and you go through this trouble tree and it helps you diagnose the issue and be able to repair it. Hopefully 
if we can't repair it and override it, then we'll walk you through how to override. So here's an interesting question, and I'm going to switch it just for a second into AI because that's my obsession right now. How long is it before these voice assistants, like the good voice assistants, everything's trash on the market now. But if you played with ChatGPT, you've seen how it has conversations with you. How long is it before that voice assistant is in an RV tied to the system that can diagnose all that stuff and say, your slide out is screwed, you're calling Pandler. I will tell you, it's going to be a very long time if the RV industry stays the way that it is. They are not like the automotive industry. So the automotive industry figured out a long time ago that we need a central brain and a central port so that we can okay. do diagnostics. We don't have that in the RV. Um, no one has that or just certain manufacturers don't? No. So like when I say RV, I guess I'm really talking about tone fifth wheel or a bumper pull, they have a bunch of different modules, leveling modules, slide modules. And if you have three different slide downs, you may have three different slide modules. And most all of them do not communicate to one port and give us a diagnostic. So that means you have to plug into each individual module to test things. And so until the RV industry can get everything together like the automotive industry and give us one single core and have all of the different modules communicating to each other, then we, it's going to be very difficult to do. What That's do actually one of the battles that we fight right now. What do you think is stopping them from doing that? I ask myself that same question quite frequently. I don't well, know what. Guess. I'm going to say money. That's exactly what I was going to say too. Uh, and to be uh, fair, like, I, and to be fair, we don't know. Like, we're again, we're not criticizing any manufacturers here. I'm not one. Nobody on the show is one. Nobody's saying it's easy to do. It could cost a hundred billion dollars to do, for all we know. But it's worth having the discussion because if no one else does, then maybe no one else asks. Yes, I would love to see the RV industry transform into what the automotive industry has been for the last thirty years where everything is organized, everything, there's schematics, there's diagrams, there's things to help you out when diagnosing issues. And there's only just a handful of RVs that I even know about that you have the opportunity to even get a schematic, which just tells us that they're all just wired. However, the guy on the production lines wants to wire it. That doesn't really inspire me to want to go buy an RV channel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's accurate to be clear. We obviously need somebody from a manufacturer on here to tell us, and I don't know if they would, but be clear. And we've done a lot of speculating on RVs. Obviously they're very popular. They're very good. They sell a lot of units, a lot of way more people are happy with them. They get their slides out suck. So we just want to make sure that we say that we're not trying to pick on anybody. We're just trying to speculate and solve issues and make the, ultimately make the consumers happy, right? So they get outside more or yes. maybe they get frustrated enough with their slide out. So they sell it and then they go glamping. I guess either way would work for us. So. We did think about having a space for RVs on our site and just on the land, whether or not there'd be an appropriate fit for it. Cause we recognize a lot of people drive their glamper around with them. So. They don't necessarily need a... So what is the definition of a glamper? Because I thought that's what we were in a camper <laughs> and we were always hooked to water, always hooked to electricity. There is no definition. That's the thing. I think it's, it's a buzzword right now, but there's it's not really... It's pretty broad. 
but it's it's actually in the dictionary, the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Glamping is camping with accommodations more luxurious than camping. Which is so Chandler's and you're right. And yeah. I'm right. And yes, yeah. we're all right. <laughs> I don't know if Kay's right. <laughs> you have to hear from I'm more often than I. Okay. All right. We got a minute and 45 seconds left. So does anybody want to say anything else? Final thoughts? All right. Well, I appreciate um, you. Oh, I'm just going to give a shameless plug. We're still trying to get our 100K by Earth Day here in D.C. So if any of you who are watching or any, anyone in D.C. who likes to go outside, please share out and with them. Yeah, we're really trying to make it a big community of D.C.ers who like to go outside. So that's all I got. But also you'll be in Michigan by Friday. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're in Michigan. I, then... I need to clone myself first. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. I'm... Go ahead. Yeah, please. Shame us plug ourselves as well. We love having people follow us on this journey. It's we've come to find it's unique. A lot of people tell us that people already have the land and decide to start a glamping resort on it rather than try to find land to start one on. Feel free to follow us. So we try to make our story fun on social media and through our monthly newsletter. We're at mittengetaways.com. Chandler, go for it. Where can they find the do you have a website? Chandler? Yes. Or is it just we have it's all across Chandler in Florida or Texas. So it's as easy as rvtesters.com. Good domain. I like it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so thank you guys. I really appreciate you, Chandler. It sounds like you got some great innovative products. We'd love to have you on maybe when you get to 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever. So you can tell us about these cool little things. Definitely when you build your robot, for sure. <laughs> Mike and Melissa, looking forward to having you guys back on. Maybe we can see the resort when it's built. Good luck later today. Hopefully you guys close that deal. That's what you thank want. You. Okay. Get to 100,000. Expand to Michigan than the world in that order. Thank you guys. I really appreciate you joining us another episode of NC Fireside Chats. We'll be back next week for our open discussion show. And we'll see you later. Take care, guys. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.